If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Marleya. <laughs> can you hear, you can hear the frazzle coming out of our voices? It's the summertime. Oh my god! I, I seriously, before Marleya came over, I was like, I needed to do all of the sound check stuff because we're again fucking fucking podcast technology. technology stuff, trying to get everything like so it's less work, and it just we haven't. <laughs> haven't found that sweet spot yet (laughs) this is gonna be like the innuendo episode which is awful because i think both of our stories are probably just immensely inappropriate for this kind of (laughs) immensely right let's get our laughs out of the way now i know and and last week was bad as well like i was saying all kinds of shit (laughs) i don't even remember i just remember it was funny and i had a hard time refocusing it's really weird to have one week in between each yeah (laughs) it's it's yeah so we're like like, last week's show gets posted tonight but it's good because it does give us kind of a buffer and we're not manic rushing over the weekends because like we still are but we still are (laughs) just for other reasons but it's for other reasons it's because other shit has hit the fan and it's because telling Marlette, you know, I needed to do all the sound check stuff before she came over. I'm going to sit down and play 30 minutes of Minecraft. Amen. And just like Minecraft, like I play two games right now. I play Minecraft and I play Fortnite and I don't play that bullshit King of the Mountain Fortnite. I play like <laughs> the 20 minutes save the world I have clear goals. I know I'm only going to be in the game 20 minutes. I can do my thing and then leave it behind. Um, <laughs> like can, a lady does. Like a lady I know does. What I need. Give it to me in 20 <laughs> minutes and we are out. And we're out, right? Because the other, the Battle Royale, it, I seriously have heart palpitations. It's so intense. It's like I can't handle it. And then I played Minecraft for really low key stress because I feel like I was a city planner. In another lifetime. <laughs> so I get to like explore dungeons, come up with a dungeon plan, occasionally kill things, and doing a lot of mining. That's kind of mindless work. But I get to like, I built like an arboreum. Arboreum? Is that right? Arboretum? Arboretum, yeah. With plants and things in like one of the caves. It was very satisfying. I made something beautiful. I did. See, if this hadn't become the pod studio, it would be your dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> it would be my dungeon. <laughs> it would be out, my isolation Chad. tank. Yeah, and chains and oh my god, punching bag. I feel like Minecraft has become like the modern woman's replacement for like cross stitching. <laughs> oh, oh my god, you are so right. This is the thing that I do that is calming. It and is calm. Structured. It's, it's structured. <laughs> it's repetitive. It can get a little exciting if you want it. To. Well, so can cross stitching, right? I don't bleed. Actually, I don't think that's true. I don't true. know. You, like, <laughs> you I don't could know. bleed. You bleed. Yeah, I but bleed then you when just quit. Stitch. You swear and you quit. And you well, throw you do things. that a little bit too. Like yeah. if you accidentally like run into a skeleton in Minecraft, they're the worst. Them and witches. 
skeletons and witches are the worst. Are the worst. But anyway, yeah. So that was my meditative session, and then like came down here, and all the shit didn't work. So we're still working on it. The good thing is, I've drunk almost an entire drink mm-hmm. while we were fucking with that shit. I know. You need to get on it. I do need to get on it. Half of this, right? Zealbach or Sealbach? I don't even know what it was. Uh, we'll, you know, we always share the recipe. We'll share the recipe. It's from some hotel in Kentucky, but it's like whiskey. It's like bubbly bourbon. Is yes, what it is. It's Which is interesting bourbon. with orange bubbly bourbon with orange. I'm kind of digging it. I like it too, man. I love orange. If you put orange liqueur on anything, I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> Um. Oh man, that's re- I just missed my opportunity. I was trying to desperately to think of like, the thing like roast octopus or you know right? like some shit. And that one's hey, bad. I would totally yeah roast octopus. You know, it'd be chewy. Octopus chewy. Yeah, octopus is chewy. It doesn't have to be. I'm just saying. Right. You can cook octopus correctly. I can't cook octopus correctly. I didn't know that you could. Do you that. can. Oh. A squid and octopus both. If they're cooked correctly, mm. they are tender. Oh. And delicious. Well, I have yet to have octopus tinder mm. tinder octopus i had, <laughs> I had <laughs> name of your sex tape i used to oh my god that actually sounds like a great garage band like a punk band tinder octopus actually no no it doesn't it sounds very pretentious like I, it would have been filled with like little emo boys and oh, um little emo boys. but no i had i used to love calamari like uh-huh. it was my favorite because my parents tricked me into ha- like eating it when i was in germany oddly not right. in Italy, germany because they made it look like onion rings. They yeah. fried it into rings. And I was like, which I also didn't like. This is like, how did you trick me into this? You made me eat something that, that I you... thought I already hated. Right. And, <laughs> but I loved I loved them. So I ate them all the time. And they were a little bit like, they were a little bit chewy. Mm-hmm. But then we went to this restaurant one time that served like full baby squids in soup. It was like in a tomato based soup. Okay. It was some shitty chain restaurant too. Oh, wow. It was like the spaghetti factory or some shit. And in DC, and they were then nasty. I almost threw up. I oh. mean, it was like little tiny rubber toys. Like it was like eating a fucking wacky wall crawler in tomato <laughs> soup. It was disgusting. Well, first of all, it wasn't fried. No, I know everything. Right, everything so. is worse when it's not fried. Right. So you, yeah, you have to fry that shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I had fried octopus, it'd be a different story. But yeah, I'd always had octopus where like it was like on top of pasta, or if it was on top of like a salad or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just just not a fan. No. Just not a fan. It's too, yeah. It's, it's too much. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. No. Anyway. Oh, shit. Okay. So, bomb. <laughs> do. Oh, <laughs> we. We have, I swear, I want one of those uh, grease, like they had in Greece, the announcement things, a little toy. Dun, 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 dun. Or oh, whatever. I, I have one of those at home. <laughs> we, we can bring that. Yeah, so we could be extra annoying. It's tiny xylophone. Yes, I would totally be annoying. We don't want to do that because oh, okay. I would sit there and play with it the whole time. Okay. <laughs> Next time, I will not bring a ukulele and a tiny xylophone. Bring the uke, though. Or a kazoo. Oh, the kazoo's <laughs> the worst. I may have to murder somebody about that. So, we just announced this past week that we have another live show coming up. <gasps> We get to meet you again. Yes. And Are there any of you in Wittumka? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think somebody, when we, I posted a little um, social thing on it saying, hey, we're going to be live in Wittumka. And somebody went, Wittumka? Wittumka? <laughs> 
I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I understand. I had no idea this place existed either until I moved to Alabama. And then I was still like, what? It's got a casino. But it's got a casino. Let's all go to the casino after. Right? Mm. But another claim to fame of... Watumka. I'm going to say Watumka until somebody corrects me. Yeah, because um, we actually were just having this conversation. Is it Watumka or is it Weetumka? Right. So somebody write an angry letter. Right. Or just like... Or be nice. Record it and send it to us so yeah. that we know better. Its claim to fame is that they filmed Big Fish there, which <gasps> yes! is like... Was that 90s? Early 90s? or Yes. And it was on Jackson Lake Island outside of Watumka. And the set is still there. <gasps> and you can pay like two bucks to go across the bridge and mm-hmm. go hang out at the what is left of the set of Big Fish. Right. I can tell you the history of it. And I'll probably just save that for the live show, show because right? uh, bartender Courtney and I went there last year and like hung out with the goats on the island. So yes. super goats. fucking cool. So we could always arrange a field trip around this also. Right. But the cool thing is, is that their theater um, group there, the Wetumpkin Depot, Depot players, players mm-hmm. they're doing a production of Big Fish. The musical, right? Like, I think. I don't, I didn't, I don't know anything. I think they're doing, because there was a new, new, new to me, Mm new-ish, Big Fish the Musical. Oh, okay. I think that's what they're doing. So they contacted us and say, hey, we like the podcast. We think it'd be great to kind of pair the two, have the podcast, and we'll do the thing like the next week or the same week. And we're like, yeah. So. Yay! Yay! We're doing it in a theater. It's oh July the theater. <laughs> it's going to be July thirteenth, which is a Saturday night in Wetumpka, Alabama, which is right outside of Montgomery. It's like thirty minutes north, north mm-hmm. east of Montgomery. I've never been there, so it'll be new to me. I'm excited. Totally thinking about all what I can talk about. I'm, I'm totally excited because we're planning on. We're like, if they let us, we may do some. Um, visuals as well oh yay that's right so, we had talked like, about that yeah yes. so we're gonna talk to them about that and we even we talked about possibly like having a and then a hang afterwards a hang afterwards and maybe if they if they have the opportunity for this like a live mic to see if anybody wants to share stories like oh, local stories yes and, i mean we are not karen and georgia I we're definitely everything not we do is taken from other people and yet people like to talk on microphones about their own weird ass shit so right um that may be an opportunity that we can do also but we're really looking forward Dude, oh, it sounds I know. super fun and the Wetumpka Depot players sound super fun and yes. so we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, check the website. Information is on the website about all the things and if you have any questions just email us at stories at mm-hmm. and we'll get them answered. You're starting first. This Are you first? I am. Okay, good. I am first. Did we uh did you want to talk about the uh the thingy, the Patreon thingy? Oh, um or are we saving that for later? Shh. Sh- Well, we can talk about a little bit first. So we are doing a Patreon and we're trying not to beat you over the head with it because that annoys the fuck out of me. I don't want to annoy. Yes. I do not want to annoy anybody because I'm easily annoyed. And so. Especially today. Especially today. Yes. We're both like, fuck you Friday. Oh my gosh. It was just the worst day to be like that. Really? (laughs) You know? Yeah. But I mean, you know, what are we? I mean, we don't work like nine to five jobs and we have 
children home for the summer. So Friday is just another fucking day. It is like, just another fucking. It's exactly. It's another You're not fucking. Friday. You are not special Friday. <laughs> there is no relief at the end of Friday. It's just another day to Saturday, which is another fucking work day. <laughs> That's what happens when you work from home. I know you work. A you fuck work ton more you all really the time. Do. It's like yeah. every time time suck. There is like there's nothing. So we are like in that just dredge right now of all the time suck of all the jobs and, and you are our relief from that you, absolutely listeners. this is like you know we were just complaining as i am very like capable of doing about like just all the things that hit us all of a sudden like multiple jobs day work and i'm just like ah and they were like is this too much doing a podcast on top of everything else i'm like no because this is my fun time this is what i look forward to doing so after this everything else is gonna suck but (laughs) i have this is my golden time you are our oasis thank you so much for listening and bearing with us So, oh, uh, that but, so that said, <laughs> we don't want to beat you over the head. Yes. Patreon. We're going to launch that. In, uh, Hopefully by the, by next the time, time that this, us. yeah. By the time you're listening to this, maybe. Oh yeah. Like by today. Yeah. God, I don't deal so episode, well with this. Yeah. Episode 26, <laughs> it'll be launched. It's going to be like, you know, $3 a month. And after this show, cause I, I wrote some things down cause I've got some personal shit that I can talk about in regards, not as heinous as what I'm going to talk about, right, I hope not. but yeah, but there's some things that I can share with you. Um, if you pay $3 a month, <laughs> it's going to be oh just God. like that. That sounds so fucking shady. It's so shady. It's like, there right? are some things I can share, share with, with you. Share with you. That's right. Just give me y'all $3. $3. I know. Sound cheap. <laughs> <laughs> We're cheap. Okay. But in that regards, you know, if you like what you hear, if you want to keep supporting us, then, you know, you want to hear more about our sordid past. It's really not that sordid. I was like, um, <laughs> I don't have a story. But yeah, we're going to continue 30 minutes after we finish this. And that part will actually be on Patreon. Woo. Woo. Okay. So I'm going to stop fucking talking. And I'm going to you- start fucking talking. Take the mic and <clears throat> take it, but don't touch it. Everything's working. <laughs> take it, but don't touch. Don't touch anything. <laughs> okay. All right. My story this week is the story of the missing solder children of West Virginia, Fayetteville, West Virginia. Okay. We're back in West Virginia. All right. I swear. It was like once I found out that West Virginia could be considered the South, I was like, all the time. <laughs> this is like my second story. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um. So. Here it goes. Between like 1952 and 1989, if you were traveling along Route 16 outside of Fayetteville, West Virginia, you saw a billboard that almost certainly at least caught your eye for a second because it was covered in two foot high black and white headshots, photos of five children, beautiful children too, dark eyes, dark hair, just gorgeous children. But for 30 years, the billboard offered a reward of $5,000 or $10,000 for information leading to any of these children, along with a detailed, and on a billboard, you know, this is unusual, right? So people would stop and pull over their cars to look at this, a detailed description of the incident that led to the billboard being erected and statements like, what was their fate, kidnapped, murdered, or are they still alive? 
And in its later years, there was one that was more permanent that um, the billboard at that time looked more like a shrine than a billboard. It like it looked like a permanent structure with like a roof over it even. Oh, damn. And that one read at the top, after 30 years, it is not too late to investigate. Those five children were Betty, Jenny, Louise, Martha Lee, and Maurice Sauter at... 5, 8, 12, and 14. Oh, 5, 8, 9, 12, and 14. And that was their ages the last time their parents saw them on Christmas Eve 1945. What the fuck? Okay. So, <clears throat> George and Jenny Sauter, the parents, were both Italian immigrants, and they had found each other in America. They had, like, he had worked in Pittsburgh and, and different places, but they were married in the early 1920s, um, and they settled down in a two-story timber frame house in Fayetteville, West Virginia, they were well-liked. They were well-respected. They were middle-class family. Um, you know, people had nice things to say about them. Apparently, there was a big Italian immigrant community in this town, and that's part of why they moved there. Um, and I think they may have... I think Jenny's brother lived there, too. Anyway, um, they had 10 children. And, um, God bless them. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> they had 10 children, and I don't think they were even, like, super agricultural. That's usually what 10 children means. Right. But... Um, on Christmas Eve of 1945, one of their older sons, Joe, he was away in the army fighting in World War II. So there were nine children at home with the, the parents that night. Um, their oldest daughter, Marion, worked at a dime store in town, and she had brought special toys home on Christmas Eve for some of her younger siblings. And they had all asked if they could stay up late to play with them. So they were all up late. Um, around 1030, the Sauter parents both went to bed. Their their bedroom was on the ground floor of the house. And... Um, their two oldest sons, John, who was 23, and George, who was 16, George Jr., they were already asleep because they had gone to work with Dad that day and they were exhausted. Um, so Jenny, the mom, took two-year-old Sylvia. To, I mean, can you imagine 23 down to two? Oh like, that's a pretty wide spread. Bless her heart. I know, right? Um, but she took two-year-old Sylvia to bed with her and she reminded the other kids, you've got to feed the chickens, you've got to put the cows in. So there was some agriculture um, before you go to bed. So around 12.30 on Christmas morning, in like midnight 30, um, Jenny wakes up to the phone ringing. And when she picks up, there's like an unfamiliar female voice asking for like a weird name. And there are laughter and glasses in the background and everything. And so Jenny just says, you have the wrong number and hangs up. And because there were people laughing in the background, she assumes that it was like maybe a prank call. Um, she goes back to bed. And when she's on her way, she notices like... Um, Marion, who is the 17 year old who works in town, um, she's asleep on the sofa in the living room. The kids have left all the lights on down. So, like, this is just right. everybody's story, right? Your kids go to bed late after you do. They've left all the lights on downstairs. The front Water door is, is unlocked. Running. I know. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, everything's wrong. The curtains are open, front door is unlocked. So, um, she kind of sneaks by Marion. She locks the door, turns out the lights, closes the curtains, and goes back to bed. Um, Shortly after she goes back to bed, she's just started falling asleep and she hears something go bang on her roof and like a rolling sound. And it's weird, but she's like, she's almost asleep and she's like, so oh, I've been there so many or times. Right? Yeah. Or a giant pine cone. So she falls asleep and an hour later she wakes again and there is smoke curling into her bedroom. Oh my God. Um, she and George leap out of bed and they start yelling up the stairs for the kids to come down and get out. And Jenny's running around and sees that their office, which is also on the ground floor of the house, is on like on fire. Um, <clears throat> the two oldest boys, John and George Sr., who shared a room, race down the stairs 
and their hair is already singed from running down the oh stairs. Oh my god! Because um, the stairway is already lighting fire. Um, their five younger siblings are still in their shared bedrooms on opposite sides of the upstairs hallway, and John reports, like his initial police like statement said that before he ran out, he went into their rooms and shook them to wake them up. And he didn't remember them like moving. And then he ran down it later. He said that he had only called up the stairs and didn't actually physically see them. Um, but regardless, George is outside. He counts all the children outside and realizes that five are still inside. And by now that downstairs is completely just filled with smoke. Um, he breaks a window to get back in, slices his arm open doing it, but he can't see anything inside at all. And he gets to the stairs and they're by this time just engulfed in flames. There's no way he can go up. Right. So he runs outside. Everybody's screaming for the children. He raises outside to get his ladder to set up against the upstairs, like part of the house to, to try and get in through those windows. The ladder is missing. The ladder is never missing. Oh, wow. Um, so he runs to his two trucks. He has two coal trucks that he uses for work. And he says he'll just, you know, he'll take one of them up to the house, then park it alongside, climb on top and climb in the upstairs windows. Neither of his trucks will work. They won't turn on. They were both working earlier in the day, but now they won't. So he runs to the rain barrel to take a bucket to the, at least throw water on the fire, which at this point is kind of a. Right. I, uh, he of, needed to do something. Yes, he had to try and help. Right. So it, the the water in the rain bucket is frozen solid. Oh, my God. And so he can't do that either. There's one report that George even tried to climb the walls of the house to get yeah. up to the upstairs windows. While all this is happening, Marion, who's 17, the daughter, is running to the neighbor's house to wake them to call the fire department. <clears throat> so it's 1945. Fayetteville is very small. Um, there is no fire alarm for the town. There is no siren. Um, to report a fire, you have to call the operator, who then calls the fire chief, who then starts a phone chain to call all the other firefighters to come and respond. Right. Marion gets there to the neighbor's house. The operator doesn't answer. It's Christmas at right. like 1.30 in the morning. Worst time ever. Yeah. Right. Another neighbor already saw the blaze from a, a tavern closer to town and is trying to call, and the operator won't answer for him either. And this is completely separate from the family. He just saw it and was trying to right? trying to help. One of those two finally just drives out and hunts the chief down, like physically finds him right? and says, you have to start this phone. Or like 45 train. minutes later Seriously. or whatever. Right. Fire started at 1.30 in the morning. Fire department doesn't arrive until 8 a.m. Oh, my God. And by then, there is just a pile of smoke and cinders where the house used to be. Um. That said, like, there was a fire uh, expert who was interviewed by NPR's Stacey Horn. She's done a ton of work on this case, and there is a web sluice thread on it. I mean, it's a very, it's a pretty well, I hadn't heard of it before, no. but it's a pretty well, it's a very well-known case. Um, yeah, we have some friends in West Virginia that listen, so we'll have to ask them about it. We will, it. because there are some people that are saying, like, every Christmas people kind of rehash this. Right. Um, but Stacey Horn pointed out... Um, after interviewing this fire expert, that the fire department wouldn't probably have been able to save the children regardless of what happened. Because even if they had been there in 10 minutes, the stairs were already ablaze. Right. It and was too hot. It was too hot. And they didn't have they like... They probably... I'm sorry. Well, they didn't have like self-contained... They didn't have like the, the right. thing to put on your face. Like self-contained breathing apparatus didn't exist in 1945. They wouldn't have been able to go up the stairs. Right. And by that time, honestly, I mean, self-smoke uh, inulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one it's of the things horrible. they said, like, people people in fires, they die of smoke inhalation. They very rarely die of burning. Um, right. So, 
So not condone, not like condoning the delay of the fire. No, that was a huge deal. Right. But they, they wouldn't have been able to save any people who were inside the house. Right. Um, so after they got there at 8 a.m., the fire marshal sifted through the site for like a couple of hours, but it was Christmas and there were clearly no survivors. And so he released the searchers and he told George, leave the site alone until we can do a more thorough investigation. Um, and in that two hours, there were differing stories about what was found. There were a lot of people who said there were no human remains in the ashes. There were some people who said there were bone fragments that they saw. Um, there were apparently four witnesses reported seeing bone fragments and or organ tissue in the wreckage, uh-huh. which people were like, how does organ tissue stay? Um, like, how, do, how does that happen? You know, from being burned. Um, the inquest that happened on it declared that the fire had been caused by faulty wiring and that the children had died in the blaze. Um, George is completely wracked by grief. He has been told to leave the site alone by the fire marshal, but, um, you know, it's four days later. He just couldn't bear the sight of his yeah, children's he needs to, death site right. smoldering there. He needs, yeah. He needs some closure. So he bulldozed it. Day like four days after the fire, he. Okay, I wasn't thinking. That. Right, I know that's he, kind of weird. Well, he said that because they basically started like a garden there. They planted flowers. They bulldozed like tons of new soil over top of the remains of the mm. house and planted flowers there. Um. And after the initial shock of the incident wore off, the parents, Jenny and George, started to ask these questions that led them to wonder, like, whether their children were even in the house at the time um, and whether they might still be alive. So the first thing was the report that said it was an electrical failure because, you know, of course, that's what they say at the inquest and everybody accepts it. And then like days later, they're kind of gathering themselves up again and they're like, wait a minute, the Christmas lights were still on when we ran out of the house. And if the lights were still on, then the power didn't go out. And if the power didn't go out, it probably wasn't, wasn't electric a wiring fault. Right. Um, so that was a weird thing. Um, <clears throat> then there was a thump on the roof that Jenny had heard. And um, a driver who had been passing by, they found out later, reported seeing fireballs shooting toward the house that night. Mm. And then later on, Jenny found in the, in like in the wreckage and in the yard, she found like a, like a, fist-sized like rubber object that they thought might have been like a napalm bomb like a little bomb or something oh wow um or an incendiary device and then there was the discovery that their phone line had been cut all the way at the top of the pole and um what right and it must have been done after midnight because she got that random crank call or whatever at midnight um and then a witness came forward saying that he had seen a man at the fire scene taking a block and tackle, like stealing things. And block and tackle is used for removing car engines, apparently. So, like, there was a question, like, could That's... that guy have been the reason that George's trucks didn't start? Uh, block. I mean, isn't that, like, I big thought... and bulky and heavy? Like, would it be, like, fucking obvious if he was, like, well, and that's running one of the, off with That is one like of the that? weird things. It was apparently... So, at first, it sounded like that had happened, like that night but before the fire was started somebody had said that they had seen this guy leaving with a block and tackle like while the rest of the family was trying to save the kids so like this whoever this asshole is like coming in while that's going on and just stealing shit like that's right? just beyond anyway huh. but um there was a man who was arrested and fined according to stacy horn's like reporting um he says that he's the, also the one who cut the phone lines but um 
no one believed him because the phone lines were cut at the top of the phone pole. But that might explain why the ladder, like he well, might have taken willing to the ladder. come in to take in that big, huge thing. If if I'm thinking correctly, like when you remove an engine, it's like it's big. It's right? big. It's not like you're gonna put it in your pocket. Know. Yeah. And, and, you know. So if he went <laughs> and if, you know, why isn't he like the main suspect for like starting the fire? And, and that's what's weird is I. So like, yeah, they they arrested him and they charged him a fine, but I guess they let him go after that. Um, and George, the ladder that he, whoever, I guess that guy must have used if he really did cut the phone line. Um, it was like tossed 75 feet away from the house down an embankment. So like, that's why George couldn't get the the ladder ladder, to go up and get the kids. Um, so that's, it's just all these really weird shit, right? Um, so Jenny, like all this stuff is starting to come together. And of course the parents are understandably they're like deeply in grief oh my and gosh, they're yeah. like wait a minute is there a possibility that my kids are still alive which anybody would grasp at right in this situation hope. right um so jenny starts to rack her brain for like other things like what else might have happened and she suddenly remembers that she saw a man in a parked car watching the children come home from school a couple of weeks before christmas too which she didn't think anything about because he wasn't on her property. Right. She noticed. Right. But, you know, she didn't really think until now. And she's like, well, that that was kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was a random guy who had appeared at the house a few months earlier asking about work. And um, this was according to a Smithsonian Magazine article. He like he walked around to the back of the house. He pointed to fuse boxes and he said, that's going to cause a fire someday, which is weird. And George, right. George told the guy, like, I just had the wiring checked and it said that it was in perfectly good condition. Um, and around the same time, another random guy, well, this guy wasn't random. He was from the town, I guess, tried to, he came around trying to sell life insurance. It was like that, that story of like, you know, the traveling life insurance right. salesman. And he, when George said he didn't want to buy any, the guy got really, really pissed off and said, quote, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed and then he said, you're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini. What the fuck? Because George was an Italian immigrant and he was an outspoken dude and he did regularly speak out again. And he's got a kid fighting in the war. Right. And he's regularly speaking out against the Italian dictator. And Who the fuck wouldn't? Exactly. And he gets an argument. I mean, so like there, he does, you know, he's known as somebody who is a dissenter on this kind of thing and he right. gets in arguments with other people, but he didn't, of course he didn't take this random life insurance guy's threats seriously or anything. But then there was a one report that said that that man who tried to sell him life insurance was a juror on the inquest panel that declared the fire accidental and due to faulty wiring. Oh my god, my brain's about to explode. I know, I'm it's serious. And then okay, so then there was the lack of remains thing, mm. which was questionable because some people said that there were and some people said that there weren't. Um Jenny started like conducting experiments in the backyard like she would find animal bones, like chicken bones and things like that and try and burn them to see if the fire consumed them and it wouldn't. Right. And um Yeah, I thought bones unless it's like extremely hot, mm-hmm. I thought bones like survive. And I think that was she said that like there were appliances, like metal appliances in the basement of the house that was burned out that were still identifiable. So she's like it couldn't have been that hot because they were other things that we could see that weren't burned up. Right. And so they started going around Jenny and George asking 
other people if a fire that burned for 45 minutes would have incinerated the children's remains. And a crematorium employee told them that, like, even when they cremate people at 2,000 degrees, there are still bones left. Wow. And bone fragments. And um, now Stacey Horn did, like, clear up some of this stuff, the NPR reporter. Mm -hmm. When she interviewed people who were fire experts, um, they pointed out that that fire... The, the house burned down by 45 minutes from when they woke up, mm -hmm. but the fire burned all night. That's true. And because, you know, I'm a fire expert and <laughs> yeah. I know about bones and fire. I know, right? Forensic fire <clears throat> person here. And they also had said that if it really did. And one thing, this was never investigated as far as arson. And that's one of the really, really compelling things about this is like the kidnapping idea and the children maybe still being alive idea has always been kind of the crux of what the parents like drove at when they were trying to get people to reinvestigate this. But like the arson thing just seems like it was just let off. And it's like someone saw fireballs. She heard a bang on the roof and a rolling noise. Like it kind of sounds, sounds like somebody like, burnt like, their damn house right. down. Was it a Mazeltov? What is the... Like a Molotov. <laughs> oh, my God. No, a Mazeltov cocktail is a very happy thing. Yeah, Mazeltov. Um, no, it was different than that. Molotov. Molotov. Um, right. But no, they, um, the, the experts that, uh, that Stacey Horn interviewed did point out that that fire burned all night. And if it did get lit from the roof, because it might have been an arson then their, the children's part of the house was on fire before, way before the parents mm. woke up. Um, so chances were pretty pretty high that they might have died from smoke inhalation, right? which is why John couldn't rouse them when he ran downstairs. And they just burned And up. they were burned, you know. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, and then there was that whole thing about people seeing organs, but then there was somebody that she interviewed too that said, in a fire, when the rest of the body is almost destroyed, whatever is left of the organs or entrails, a lot of time will just turn a bright shade of red, and it catches your eye when you see it in a fire wreckage. Um, so he said that it's actually not that unusual that you might find something like that, and then you would see it because right. it's bright and everything else is gray. Right. Um, but, you know, all this stuff is like really legitimate questions that they had about the incident. Oh, and by the way, so because of the contamination of the scene by George and other people, like they never... They never roped off the scene. The people who were scouring it for bones were not trained investigators. Right. I mean, this is, I'm sure, rural West Virginia. Mm -hmm. and It was a volunteer fire department. Volunteer, yeah, that I they mean, had to, like, in the Christmas. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but we, we kind of know how it goes when you don't have the help or the training yeah. or the expertise. And they knew clearly that there was no one alive in, right you know in there, there was, was no left. it was a recovery not it, a rescue yeah, exactly so the urgency was kind of gone by the time right. they got there so you know any any remains may have just been overlooked on top of that right um but you know they the the parents still had these hopes so that's when they put up these billboards that i like talked about at the beginning um offering rewards for the children and at one point they even were like some of the billboards like accused the police of not investigating, which was not true. The police and the fire marshal did investigate like every re reasonable lead they found. Yeah, but the guy bulldozed it too. So how I how know. much? I mean, that was, that was kind of fucking weird. Yeah, That's just weird. it is it is really weird. But right. you know, a lot of people are like, it was weird, but we do recognize that like grief is strange. Right. And, you know, um, they 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 wrote to J. Edgar Hoover to ask for FBI help in trying to find their kids. And he said, I'm sorry, it was kind of out of our jurisdiction. Right. But, you know, after these billboards go up 
and there's a reward for information, they start hearing things left and right. Oh, wow. So there's a woman who claimed to have seen the children in a, like, plastered to the window of a passing car during the fire. Um, there was a woman who um, was operating a tourist shop, it said, between Fayetteville and Charleston, which was 50 miles away, and um, said that she saw the children after the fire and so it was like she was like a hotel owner and she said she served them breakfast and that there was a car with florida license plates and um you know so then at charleston there was a woman in a hotel who saw the children's photos in the newspaper and said that she had seen them a week after the fire in the company of like a, several like italian adults who didn't speak english and um they don't fucking know and that's the thing it was like this whole big you know the the she talked about like every time she tried to talk to the children then the italian people like looked at her and talked to her talked her to her in italian with like a hostile manner um two years later even and this is how far it went george saw a picture in the newspaper of school children in new york and was convinced that one of them was his daughter Mm. betty and he drove to manhattan like to ask the school to let him see the child and of course they're not going to right and um but i mean that's how that's how desperate they got to find their kids Mm. but um they ended up in 1949 they had they sent um stuff from no wait they had the site re-excavated um, by a pathologist from Washington, D.C., and found some human bones that they sent to the Smithsonian Institution to be, like, studied. And they did say that it looked like it was, like, judging by the patterns and the growth patterns of the bones, it was probably, like, a 16- to 17-year-old kid, which isn't too far from the age of their oldest son who was upstairs. So, you know, it, it sounds right. like, you know... All this just weird ass stuff. And then there was like a letter came from a woman from St. Louis saying that Martha was in a convent there. Like, you know, the oldest girl that had, you know, gone missing or died. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody from Texas said that they heard a bar conversation where a guy was talking about Christmas Eve in West Virginia all that kind of shit. And George went and investigated every single one of these things that they found. Mm. But then in 68, 20 years after the fire, Jenny got a letter from Kentucky that had no return address and was like a picture of a man in his mid twenties that had a handwritten note on the back that said Lewis Sauter. And it was like, it would have been the right age for that kid. Had he grown up 20 years and it looked a hell of a lot like him. They ended up adding him to the billboard, adding that picture to the billboard after, because the like, the similarities but you know it's like he had dark hair and dark eyes i mean like the guy had dark hair and dark eyes that doesn't count as like but you know and can you imagine being the person who like sends that letter to a grieving mother 20 years after her kids have disappeared just like yeah like maybe they were trying to get over it finally and then something new comes up that's just people just drag it on on and um So anyway, Jenny died in 1989, the mom. But you know what? The family, the the children that are living, all but one of them are still searching for their siblings. Oh, wow. Like John, the one who was older, like the one who ran upstairs and like tried to get the other kids to come down. He's the one that says like, y'all just let it go. Right. All the other ones are still actually like on an active search to find their 
brothers and sisters. Wow. So. I wonder if they do like the 23andMe DNA testing. Right. If they can connect. Because I have a story about that, that if you subscribe to our Patreon, I will tell you about. Patrice is like, I'm not going to beat you over the head about it or anything. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a really good one there. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean. That is crazy. So, yeah, that's the story that, of the, the missing solder children oh my God. of West Virginia. That billboard was up there from, like, 52 to 89. Oh, my God. So, yeah, they were, yeah. Bless their hearts. Right? That is horrible. Yeah. That is so horrible. I have thoughts, and yet I'm going to save them. All right. We should take a potty break. We should. And get another drink. We'll be right back. We're back. We're back. Let me have a drink. Wow. We yeah. did need ice because those ice cubes are mm. almost gone already. Oh, wow. So this podcast has made me like whiskey and bourbon. Isn't that strange? Isn't that weird? Strange. Hanging out with bartender Courtney has made me like bourbon. Right. And whiskey. And whiskey, yes. I definitely do not hate it as much. I mean, I don't hate it. I did, but I don't. Okay. See, I'm rambling. <laughs> you can do it you can do it i can do it all right so it's really interesting that you did that story because i feel like it's true crime podcast day oh we have a theme we do have a theme we are definitely kind of although that's kind of folklorish i mean i can see where that story would Mm -hmm. like kind of take on its own legend where my story is just really more about a horrible horrible heinous person oh yeah so today i'm going to talk about jared john schaefer okay so jared john schaefer was the first of three children born to catholic parents uh, he was born in Wisconsin, however, they moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and he stayed there until he was about 14, and then the family moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Schaefer did not get along with his father. His father was like a drinker and a womanizer. Actually, I think he was a salesman, so he like, you know, was off on business a lot, having like blatant affairs, oh. and was basically just a douche and um so of course you know jared had problems with that and also he claimed jared claimed that he was illegitimate because he was the firstborn of the three and he said that he was the cause of his parents shotgun wedding oh i see i thought you meant he was illegitimate like i got confused i was like did he have a different Mom? Mm, no, he was just like he feels. So he, he he thinks that he was conceived before his parents got right, and he may married. have been, and he may be the reason that they had got married or whatnot. Ugh, and he also claimed that his dad preferred his sister to him. However, as we come to find out, there's probably a good reason why everybody would prefer his sister to him. <laughs> um. When he was around the age of 12, he started experimenting with bondage and sadomasochism. Oh, on what? God damn, when you're 12 years old. Yeah, he was messed up from very young age. Um, he And it sounded like home life did not help at all. 
uh, in his teens, he became obsessed with women's underwear and became a peeping Tom. Oh, shit. He started spying on a neighbor's... going. Yeah, he started spying on a neighbor's girl, um, girl named uh, Lee Hainline. Although, I'm a little confused about that. Remember that name. We're going to come back around to that. Okay. He would steal women's underwear. He would fantasize about dying. And he even would tie himself to trees because it made him sexually arouse. So, oh. it's like he had this tree fetish thing going on. Okay. At a I'm very, scared. Yeah. I'm like... and this is like at a very young age. So, um, you know, adolescence, puberty, uh, this is when this kind of manifested um, more so. Uh, he had this like very violent self-loathing and he told one of his psychiatrists um, later on that he's like, he always, when he played, when he like went through these fantasy games as, you know, when he was young, he, he was the one that always got killed. He wanted to die uh, he wanted, it was kind of like, wanted to pay back his father for making his sister the favorite. Um, and he also, so he wanted to be a girl. Huh. Uh, you know, so this is what he told the psychiatrist, you know, wanted, he felt like he was such a disappointment to his family as a kid. And he wanted to please his father. So during these reactment games that he played, it was like he would dress up as the female, tie himself to the tree, and it would sexually excite him. Ugh. Okay. So he did. I don't know. So this was like the 70s, you know, early 60s or late 60s, 70s. Actually, probably in the 60s where this was happening, where he was, you know, growing up. Um, he did seek help from therapy uh, to relieve his sexual deviance and these homicidal fantasies that we, he was having at a very young age. Mm -hmm. But obviously therapy didn't help. And who the fuck knows what they told him? Like therapy back, in you know, in the 60s yeah. and 70s, like, you know, what was said. Um he started cross-dressing, but later admitting that the cross-dressing really was to dodge the draft for the Vietnam War. Because this was also when the war was going on, and he was of the age to be drafted. So um, he used that as an excuse, but who knows if it was a, an excuse or if he did kind of play that into his fantasy yeah. that he was um, going in. So all this is happening 12, 13, you know, early on and throughout, you know, his teenage years, but he did have girlfriends. So bless her heart. Oh my God. Um, his, one of his first girlfriend, I don't know if his first girlfriends, one of his girlfriends in high school when he was 14, um, they were together for like three years and yeah, so he was able to maintain a relationship or either bless her heart, she didn't know any better yeah. because their sex life was very unorthodox. You said they got together at 14. Yeah. Oh, so God. 14 to 17. So probably her first. And she, she wouldn't know any difference, you know. <sighs> and so he would take her and make her part of this role play fantasies that he would have where he would tear off her clothes and rape her oh my god and so that's kind of like that that's yeah that's hope she's getting therapy um that was how you know he 
had his sex life. That was his, he was just carrying on these, these fantasies, this role playing fantasies of just, you know, violence and death and, um, sex. So after they broke up, um, they're thinking like two years after they broke up that he started killing in 1965. And oh, is, my God. So he was, what, he, like he 19? Was, he was about 19. Jesus um, Christ. And very good math. It's like, at the age of 19. <laughs> um, but. I can add two to 17. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. And so, you know, this is kind of in retrospect. This is like when he started talking about this later on. But then publicly he denied it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, a theme that we see later on. So when he was 22 years old, he got married and he wanted to instill American values like honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. That was like his goal in life because he went to college, he got a degree, and he's like, I want to like really impress upon the youth of this nation, like these virtues. What the hell? This is confusing to me. Also that like... God, the time when those were American values. Yes, right? Yeah. So this is this is his thinking, though. So in 1969, he, got, he became a teacher at Plantation High School and was soon fired for total inappropriate behavior. <laughs> and this starts to become a theme. So his supervisor said or had told him that he had better never hear. He's like... He'd better never let me hear of his trying to get a job with any authority over people or I'll come and prevent it. Oh, my God. God bless. I mean, that was like his first job out of college that he had. And I wish that principal would have followed through because it does not get better. And did you say he was married? He was married. He was married at the time this happened. Um, After he got fired from the high school job, thank God they fired him. um, He tried to become a Catholic priest. But he was rejected by, by the Catholic Church. Well, I mean, for one thing, he's already married. Is that not a thing? Is, <laughs> I mean, like, fuck if I know. I feel like he missed a boat there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Continue. Continue. Yeah, Catholic friends. Can a Catholic priest be married? Is is that a thing now? I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe that's why they rejected him. Right. Sounds like they may have had other like good reasons. Absolutely. Uh, when he was twenty four. He divorced his wife and, or actually his wife divorced him, citing cruelty as the reason, Mm. Um, excessive cruelty. So after they got divorced, after he got like fired from the teaching gig, couldn't be hired on as a priest, he took a few weeks to recuperate in Europe and North Africa that summer, which is totally weird. (laughs) That's just like totally off the wall weird, right? Um, and then he came home with new life goals to move forward. It's like, this is what he was going to do. So since he couldn't be a priest or a teacher, he would become a policeman. Oh, it's no. like the fucking unholy trinity of positions of authority of that yeah. you do not want people of this kind to be in. I mean, these Oof. are the people that give like teachers and policemen and, and priests priest. who are on the up and up, mm. like these are the horror stories. And he's hitting all three of them, right? 
So he gets married again to Teresa Dean, a secretary that he met while he was working as, as a security guard. And he starts applying to several different departments to get hired on as a policeman. Um, he got rejected by the Broward County Sheriff's Office after failing the psychology test, the oh. psychology, the psychology test. Yeah. Psychological test. Sorry. Psychological test. <laughs> Juxtaposition. Juxtaposition. <laughs> um, uh, he fails the test, and but there's a smaller department somewhere called Wilton Manor's Police Department that hired him anyway. So he, <laughs> so they're like, we don't fucking Thanks, care. Guys. All right. So he takes his position with the Wilton Manor's Police Department, and. In 1972, he earns accommodation for his role in a drug bust. However, one month later, he was fired. Okay. Explanations for the firing. So it kind of varies. The chief, um, Bernard Scott, said that Schaefer didn't have an ounce of common sense. (laughs) And so that was why he was fired. However... Looking back, um, an ex-FBI agent, Robert Ressler, reports that Schaefer was disciplined for running female traffic violators through the department's computer and obtaining personal information and later calling them for dates. Oh, shit. What sounds much more like his M.O. Mm. So what one chief says is like he didn't have any common sense. Obviously, it was a little bit more in depth to, you know, shit you just don't do. Hmm. I'm like, why would they not like report? I, yes, I, yes. Why do you and just warn everybody in exactly. the industry like he does not need to be in any kind of authority. So he needed a job after he got fired. He's still not. He's did he get remarried? It doesn't matter. He, apparently, you know, he's he has been married several times. He needed a job. However, at the end of June, um. Oh, not however. He did find a job. And at the end of June, he signed on. So several months later, he signed on at Martin County Sheriff's Department. So there's like all these. People keep hiring they him? They keep hiring him. And still in the same, like, this is from Stewart, Florida. So he's still in the state of Florida and all of these departments that he applies to. I mean, this is the 70s. So, I mean, you'd have to pick up the phone and call to report, mm-hmm. you know, anything. But you would think that he would have a record that followed him. Or maybe he just fucking lied. I don't know. Well, and it could be one of those things. It's like once in police departments and I, I, you know, uh, I know people who are police officers, but I think like in a lot of, in a lot of businesses like that, or like, I don't know, brotherhoods like that. It's like, once you're one of us, we're not going to rat you out to others or whatnot, you know, unless, yeah, I, I don't know what the fuck. So, so this is the end of June. He starts. Less than a month later, he makes what he calls a dumb mistake that would cost him his career and freedom. Mm. And I think that dumb mistake, honestly, it's just he fucking got caught. (sighs) So on July 21st, 1972, Schaefer picked up two hitchhikers, Pamela Wells and Nancy Trotter. And they were like 17, 18-ish. And they were on this highway near a local beach, and they were going, like, from this boarding house to the beach. You know, they were just having—it's summertime. They were going to the beach during the summer, and they were hitchhiking to get there. 
So he pulls them over. He's like, you know, in his uniform and car and stuff. And he tells them hitchhiking was illegal, which at that time was not true. Mm. And then he drove them back to their halfway house where they were staying. And he offered, and he's like 26. He's still young at this time. He's only like just a handful of years older than they were. Um, he offered, you know, to come pick them up the next morning and take them to the beach, you know, when he was off duty. And they were like, okay, sure, fine. So, um, he gets and picks them up the next morning, but instead of taking them to the beach, Schaefer drove them to this swampy, uh, island called, uh, Hutchinson. And when he drives there and he stops, he starts making sexual remarks and then he drew his gun and then he told the girls that he planned to sell them um like sex traffic them oh wow and he forced them out of the car he bound both girls and left them balancing on the roots of a tree with nooses around their necks at the risk of hanging themselves if they fell off the roots oh my god and then he left them and he, but he promised to come back shortly. Ugh. What the fuck? I don't know. Holy shit. When he was gone, the girls thankfully escaped. And in his absence, they like found another police officer and the police officer took him in and they went to the actual station that Schaefer worked. They went to his precinct or his police mm-hmm. um office where he worked was employed at and they had no problem identifying this guy um because schaefer told him his name and (laughs) and so um when schaefer went back out to check on the girls and realized that they had escaped and were gone and i don't know if he got like a heads up like from the department or not but he telephoned the sheriff at the time. He said, I did something foolish. And then he told his, yeah, he told his boss, he's like, you're going to be mad at me. Um, Jesus Christ. He told, yeah, he told the sheriff that he had overdone his job and that he was trying to scare the girls out of hitchhiking in the future for their own good, Um. which it was kind of like, what the fuck? So obviously they were more than mad at him. They fired him on the spot and then they charged him with false imprisonment and two counts of aggravated assault. Finally. And he was, um, he was arrested, but then released on $15,000 bond. Shit. When he went to trial again, talking about the brotherhood here, he already brotherhood here. He already, uh, he pled guilty to one, of the assault charges and the other charges were dropped. So you have two girls. There was two assaults. There was two kidnappings, which were identical, which were identical. They were both there at the same time in the same situation. Um, but he pled guilty to only one and was charged for only one. Um, the judge said that he was a thoughtless fool and sentenced him to a year in County jail with three years probation. So still. So he's getting out of this shit by like being a dumbass? Is that everybody's like, like, oh, poor dumbass. Poor dumbass. Sorry, trying to teach them a lesson, you know, just didn't have any common sense. This is, you know, that's just not how you do things. However, while Schaefer was free on bond and pending his trial, uh, Susan Place and Georgia Jessup, both 16 and 17 respectively, vanished from Fort Lauderdale. Hmm. 
Susan's parents said that the girls were last seen at her house leaving with an older man named Jerry Shepard. <laughs> he is a dumbass. Oh, my God. On their way to play guitar at a nearby beach. They never came back, though. However, when they drove off, Susan's mom had, like, she wrote down Schaefer's license plate and a description of his car. Now, hold on a second. Mom is suspicious enough that she's going to write down the license plate and car description, but she didn't fucking stop her kid from going? I know. I know. Oh, God, please don't let me be that mom. I know. No. I know. Holy shit. I'm trying to, like, not be too judgmental but yes I'm judgy on that one I'm no, sorry I know I'm like, I know you who would fucking kid and, but I'm also with trying to think know. of the time period too the, I, I just I don't know I don't know it was wrong been, fucking move mom. I think I would have been like the worst least like least cool mom in the 70s oh <laughs> I yeah I really would I would have been like don't go out with them damn hippies right yeah. yeah playing guitar on the beach they're gonna fucking kill you because that's what happens that's what happens fucking kill people get i mean like trust your gut if she like if you have to write down their fucking license plate number run after the car don't let them go exactly right so she gives all this information to the investigators but it's six months before the investigators actually traced the uh plates back to schaefer and by this time, he's already in jail for the abduction, the abduction of the two girls. Um, Schaefer obviously denies any contact with Place or Jessup. And um, however, like, as soon as she turns that in, six months later, shit starts to already hit the fan. Like, he's the one that's last seen with the two girls that disappeared. Their bodies haven't shown up yet. Mm. He's in jail for trying to abduct two other girls who are hitchhiking. So as soon as like the fucking police do their job and, you know, trace it back to him, then they could get a search warrant and start looking for, you know, if he did have any involvement with these crimes. I don't even want to know what they find with a search warrant. So skeletal remains were found on Hutchinson Island, which was the island that he took the two uh, girls that escaped from um, back in 1973. And four days later, the victims um, were identified from their dental record, and oh. they were Susan Place and uh, Georgia Jessup. And now I do. I feel bad for being judgy for the mom because that sucks regardless. And it I'm does. Sure suck. She spent her entire life. I'm being sure, like, like blaming herself, them. blaming herself. Absolutely, I'm sorry, mom. That sucks. Uh, the detectives remarked that evidence from the crime, obviously, uh, or not obviously, indicated that the two girls were tied to a tree and butchered. Ah. Uh. So, like six days later the police go into Schaefer's mother's house um, where he had personal items stored in a spare bedroom and evidence recovered in the search. Now remember he's in jail serving a year sentence for abducting for what they say being a dumbass. Mm -hmm. But I think he was just saying he got called Um, a stash of women's jewelry a hundred plus pages of writing and sketches depicting mutilation murders of young women, newspaper clippings about two women missing since 1969 and a piece of ID belonging to a vanished, a vanished, 
or pieces of ID um, belonging to vanished hitchhikers, Colette, Good Enough, and Barbara Wilcott, both oh, about 19. No. So Colette and Barbara were last seen alive January 8th, a week before Schaefer was sent to jail in Martin County. Their skeletal remains were found in early 1977. So like <laughs> four years later. Sorry, it took me that long to do that math. Bad. Yeah, math bad. Um, <laughs> so like four years later, no cause of death could be determined and thus no charges were filed. For the news clippings, it um, referred to the February 1969 disappearance of waitress Carmen Hillock, who was abducted from her home. Items of her jewelry were were found um, in Schaefer's hoard that he collected, uh, along with a gold tooth, uh, filled gold tooth that he had that her dentist identified was hers. Again, no charges were filed. Mm Mm-hmm. Why? Why? He the, had her shit. Why were no charges filed? The missing woman, Lee, and this is Lee uh, Bonatti's, which is a different name. However, I'm I'm really thinking this may be the same person. So remember the neighbor yeah. that he was peeping Tommen on? This was actually, and it may be the same neighbor uh, that had disappeared in September of 1969. Oh, wow. Um, that he had complained of her taunting him by undressing when her curtains were open. Oh, for so God fucking sake. A piece of her jewelry was found among his belongings as well. And again, no charges were filed. Um, however, her skeletal remains were finally recovered in 1978. More jewelry linked Shefford to the disappearance oh of 14-year-old Mary oh. Bris- Briscolini, Briscolina, uh, who vanished from uh, Brewerd County with 13-year-old Elisa Farmer in October of 1973. Their skeletons were found in the early 1973, um, but once again, no cause of death could be determined and no charges were filed. So the list of suspected uh, victims would continuously grow over time. Um, however, Schaefer was only faced with charges on the two murder counts. Oh, my God. Really? So he was indicted on uh-huh. May 18th, 1973, for the slaying of Jessup's, Jessup's in place, held without bond, thank God, um, and was convicted on two counts of first-degree murder on October of 1973, um, drawing two consecutive terms of life imprisonment. He appealed numerous times and obviously, well, thankfully, was rejected every single time. And... It was really crazy. So he appealed all these times, however, saying that he didn't do it. However, he would like talk to other people and acquaintances, telling them details about what he did. And he was nearly forgot about until like 1990 when a former high school girlfriend um, published a collection of his stories under the title Killer Fiction. Of his stories? Of his stories that he had written. So kind of fucked up right um and more volumes would follow so schaefer insisted that his stories were art 
However, police and prosecutors described them as like a really thinly veiled description of actual crimes. And this was a high school girlfriend. So he that came back. So apparently either she contacted him or he contacted her and started writing, which is which is interesting about this is that this month um, there was actually a bill passed in Alabama called the Lisa Law. And it's from mm-hmm. the Judith Ann Neely case. Yeah. So Lisa Ann uh, Milliken, who was a 13-year-old girl who was tortured and killed, um, her folks, uh, what is it? They didn't, like, protest. They No, they advocated for advocated, this law, right? Thank like you. They, they advocated for this law um, that would give victims and their families the ability to prevent the convicted perpetrator from profiting off of crime through books, movies, or other entertainment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, giving kind of taking the power away from the murderers mm-hmm. and, and putting it back, you know. Just enough is enough. Go away and be done. Yeah. Right. So that law actually passed this month um, because of Lisa Ann Milliken. So back to Schaefer. Um, so his girlfriend from high school had these stories that he, but he had written the stories afterwards or he had written these in high school and she still had them. Do you know? I'm thinking that he writ- wrote these in jail. Okay. And then sent them to her and, and then she sent published them. them. Although he did write, like it, it did say earlier he that had, he did, had yeah. been writing. So maybe he just continued to write or either, he, oh you know, he God. told her to get this and this continued to write. So this, like this Lisa law would stop him from making money from stuff like this but that was this was way before this was way before right so um he continued to write private letters to attorneys and acquaintances and admitted as much as saying like yeah all of these stories are things that i've done Uh um and the correspondence swiftly like raised the body count oh no yeah so he was saying that the district attorney, Robert Stone, at the time, had listed him as killing about 34 people. Holy shit. However, like, because of the stories, and he said when he sat down and wrote and drew up his own list, uh, he was thinking maybe more of 80 or over. <gasps> um, oh, my God. So this came to bite him in the ass obviously because every time he went up for parole now we, they were like no <laughs> fucking he's a way fucking dumbass yeah and he is a fucking dumbass Thank God. and so these letters came to haunt him and uh you know he soon became known uh, and labeled as a prolific serial killer which he was yeah. and he got pissed off about this because it was keeping him from like appealing his case and so he started filing a series of lawsuits against anybody, any author that would say this for libel. And, of course, they were uniformly dismissed in courts because mm-hmm. it was total bullshit. But he kept everybody busy. And um, but, you know, secretly, everybody, even a judge um, officially branded him as a serial killer, finding him um, undeniably linked to a number's numerous murders beyond the two which he stood convicted and he would boast about it in private where but like you know outwardly he's like oh no i'm innocent i didn't do any of this (laughs) nobody can ever put these two things together (laughs) and he said yeah nobody can put these two things together but the judge was like you know it's just only your arrogant perversity Mm. which propels you towards this you know meritless lawsuits that he's trying to put on everybody for liable 
but in 1995, so like five years after, you know, the book came out and all the things started getting stirred up again, uh, basically his luck ran out. An inmate barged into his cell and slashed his throat and stabbed him in both eyes. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was not a kind death, but he doesn't deserve a kind death, right? I was going to say, right? probably much deserved. And much deserved. Um, so there was really no specific motive behind the death other than he probably pissed off this dude because he was known as a rat and a troublemaker. And I'm mm. sure like after his books came out, he, I'm sure he was thinking that he was the big shit and started running his mouth. And also with his death, a threat of, you know, nuisance litigation went away so people in law enforcement you know were now free to like really air what they thought about him and one of the the fbi agents who studied schaefer um called him one of the sickest so he said if he had a list of top five uh which would include all the serial killers i have interviewed throughout the country he would definitely be on the top five so shirley jessup georgia's mom um, you know, obviously still mourning her daughter, but she said, you know, Schaefer's murder was simply a case of overdue justice. She said, I'd like to send a present to the guy who killed him. Mm. Um, and she always believed he was going to get his. She just wished it would have been sooner than later. Oh, man. And that is the heinous horrible and there's so much stuff like murderpedia i mean there's so many articles about this guy and like he had a lot of aliases it seems like Hmm. and i think there's a lot more to this story that was i didn't cover but um that is the heinous story of jared john schaefer wow in florida isn't it odd that he like it always it from what you were talking about like so often it was women in twos like mm. you would think that people would like shy away from people right that, that he would try to get you know I, well i think that were single or, or just right. one at a time i wonder I, if it played into his thing i don't i don't know if it played into this thing or if it was just you know girls were hitchhiking in twos yeah. at that time and it was just a crime of convenience mm. and as a authority figure he hadn't. He did not think that they would run away from him. I mean, he was in a cop okay. car, oh, and you sociopath. know, yeah. So, oh my god, I know true crime. You know, I'd like um, my, like so many people, I'm like obsessed with like true crime. Not obsessed, but like I'm into some true crime shows and you know right. other uh, other podcasts, which we don't need to name, right? But, um. <laughs> but we will. My favorite murder is awesome. But right. um, The Fall, have you ever watched the... <gasps> yeah. Oh, see, when you first started talking about this and you were talking about mm-hmm. like the obsession with women's panties mm-hmm. and the bondage and everything, all I could think of was The Fall. Right. Um, the Fall is so good. It is, especially the first season. Especially then, the first like, season, Mind yes. Hunters, I think their second season might be coming out next. Courtney and I were looking up this the other night. Mindhunters. Mm-hmm. Like, so oh, the Alienist is my favorite. One of them is coming out the new season in August, and one of them is coming out next year. So, like, those, those two yes. are great. If but- you are a reader 
read the book, The Alienist, because mm-hmm. that is the best book. It Victorian really is. It is so crime. Good. It is medical, forensic. It's so good. It really is. My mother-in-law lent it to me, I think, when... Like I was like basically homebound after I had my first kid, I think mm-hmm. like she forever ago. And, uh, she was like, I really, really like this one. I thought you would. And I just tore through it. It was yes. great. So, um, yeah, that's a good one. So Jesus uh, Christ. All right. Watch, trust your gut, red flags, write down the license plate and then jump in front of the car. Exactly. Don't let your children go off with 26 year olds, police officers. Oh my God. Or anybody. And and that's the thing. It's like, I hate these people that do that because they give such a bad name to the people who try so hard to do right by the community. Which is the majority. With the majority. Yes. But it only takes like, you know, a, a few couple of fuckheads. fuckheads, like a couple of bad police guys, a couple of bad priests, a couple of bad teachers, and it's just you have to teach your kids like you cannot trust authority i mean be careful you obviously we're gonna teach our we're gonna raise we're gonna raise an entire generation of just like kids that constantly look like i can't trust anyone right and it's gonna be true and that's it is gonna, uh, no it's horrible and it's a horrible way to live but fuck may be necessary in order mm. to continue to live exactly wow Bummer. I know. Okay, so we talked about this. <laughs> How are we going to end this show? We don't know. If you have ideas on, like, because, you know, some other podcasts <laughs> have some really remarkable, like, awesome little tag things that they do no. at the end. And every time we end a show, we're like, so, bye. So, Marlea, you're all the time talking about this goat house bar in Montgomery that you went to and had this fantastic time. I so, know, right? tell me about it. So, the goat house beer garden is where I like to go when I'm in Montgomery because I could, like, I, I go, I see a show, I visit Jackson Island where the big fish set is, or I protest stupid fucking decisions of our government. <laughs> and the goat house is the place where I like to go while I'm doing it. Well, that's awesome. I've also heard that the goat house highlights local artists singers songwriters makers chefs brewers and entrepreneurs which that's us right we're all those things yeah (laughs) um and they intentionally support only original content because they truly believe that communities begin grow and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive what a fantastic idea it is a fantastic idea it's a great atmosphere it's great company it's a lot of fun and it's less than 10 minutes from hank williams grave which is haunted so the next time you go to say hey to old hank Go stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. Amazing. Yep. Follow us on Facebook at The Strange South, Instagram at The Strange South Podcast, or on Twitter at Strange South Pod, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of The Strange South Podcast. Together. So you're sure you're a little... uh... (laughs) Poof balls all the way on your microphone, right? Pushed all the way down. Yes. Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, that was my only remaining question. Okay. <laughs> yes. Like it is. My I'm poof a is pushed. <laughs> <laughs> my poof is pushed. <laughs>